Good morning, everyone, again. It's good to be with you today. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, thanks for coming out. I know you could be anywhere but here, but you're here today, so God bless you for coming out here. I have a few things I want to share with you so far uh, before we get going, um, and that is, you guys want to know how much money's come in so far for the AF Church plant? Okay. Yeah, I'm going to share with you. I, I had my numbers wrong in first service, so I told them a certain number, but that's wrong. We brought in, our goal is $75,000. Uh, to plant our next campus, and we are at 61,000 came in last Sunday. So, um, so, so thank you for that, but we are going to continue taking that offering today and next week because uh, we know that every Sunday, one-third of a congregation is just not there. And so if you haven't participated in that part, you can go online. If you're watching me online last week, our, our online was down, so you didn't get to hear that or maybe participate in that. So Today you can, and we need to hit that goal of $75,000 for our next church plant. It's going to be reaching a younger demographic of people, and so we just pray that you will all jump on board with that, as many of us have, and we'll reach our goal and do what we need to do. Next Sunday, we're, um, we're going to start a new series. This is the last Sunday in our series on marriage, and our new series is called Overloaded. Do you ever feel overloaded in, in your life, like it's like too much going on? Anybody? Uh, anybody? Anybody? Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like every one of us feels these things. It's like, and so it, it presses you, and so we want to, and what it can do is it can make you feel like you're no longer a human being. You become a human doing, and you're always doing stuff. You got to, I got it, and then you turn into not an I want to, but an I, I'm an I have to. I always have to be doing this and doing that, and so we're going to attack these things from different dimensions. That starts next Sunday because... You know what? We want you to be human beings, not human doings. We want you to be able to enjoy your life. So that starts next Sunday. And I, th oh, a couple things too is that we have now, uh, about three weeks ago, uh, they will start March 2nd. We hired an executive associate pastor for the campus here. They'll charge of operations. I won't have to do that anymore. They'll oversee this one, Harupa, the app plant. They'll oversee all this stuff. So that way, I can just do what I'm supposed to do, and that is teach and preach the Word of God. Praise the Lord. Amen. So, Because um, operating outside of my skill set is just not fun whatsoever. I'm not an organizational person. I'm not thing like that. I, I'm a Bible teacher preacher. So that's they're coming March 2nd. They'll be in the office and uh, coming from up north. We've also hired our campus pastor for Harupa. They will start around March the 8th. And so all these things are coming in. So it will relieve a lot of, you know, pressure's been going on. So we're getting there, guys. We're getting there. So um, let's see. I think that's it. Just letting you know, we're going to replace the flooring in here. How many are happy for that one right there? You're not going to spill coffee anymore, right? Just give me like a, a week, okay, when it's new. Just no spills for a week. Um, but um, you say, why don't you keep people from bringing stuff in? I want it to be a living room. I want people to enjoy themselves in here. So I'm going to talk today on my will. Not mine personally, but all of us have a will. Would you repeat this with me out loud? Say this. My will, my will can, get in the way can get in the way of our will. Of our will. That's just true in marriage. My will can get in the way of our will. The two should become... One. That's what we're going to talk about today because my will can get in the way of our will. The two can become one, should become one, but sometimes the two stay two because my will gets in the way of our will. Proverbs 16, verse 32 says, I'm going to build a case for this, then we're going to get into a few points here. Proverbs 16, 32 says, if you put it up on the screen there for me, he who is slow to anger 
is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. Now, the word there, spirit, and he who rules his spirit, some of your Bibles might say mind, but it is breath, wind, mind, etc. But it's the idea of breath coming out in animation or agitation. Have you ever had, because your words come out with wind, you need breath, have you ever had some agitation come out of you towards your spouse? Yeah, so we want to be able to control the agitation, control the spirit, control the wind, because it says, greater is that person who can control that than he who conquers a city. Now, you and I think, we have to think differently to understand what a city was like for them versus our cities, because in their day, they built their cities up on a tell, up on a hill, up. So when the enemy came and approached to try to take their city, they had to climb up, and then there'd be high walls, and they had to go up over the walls, and there were these you know, towers and everything else and thick gates, and so... It made it very difficult for an enemy to conquer a city. So he says, if you can control the inner agitations and the inner animations that come out of you, you are greater than the one who can conquer a city. In other words, to control your insides is greater than controlling your outsides. Because if you control your insides, you control your outsides. And it's in our insides and the emotions there, in our will, that we can cause a lot of damage in our relationships and the two don't become one, the two stay two. Now, let me go further in this thing, and that's this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit, soul, and body. Notice you are a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. Um, your spirit is, as a follower of Christ, is alive to God. If you're not a follower of Christ, it is not alive to God, but there's spirit, soul, and body. Be preserved complete. In other words, sanctify, preserve. God wants to make us whole, spirit, soul, and body. Now, that doesn't mean we're always going to get healed physically on this side of the, uh, on the equation. But as a follower of Christ, my ultimate healing is when I get in heaven. But while I'm on this side, my soul can heal up through the Spirit of God. Any amens on that one right there? And I do need people to help heal up. I can't heal up on my own. Now, be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, think about this. Your body, soul, and spirit. In your soul is, your, is three parts also, your mind, will, and emotions. Your mind is your thinking process, your will is your decision-making, and your emotions are those feelings. And so within all that right there, uh, you have to be able to rule those emotions, those, that will of yours, because you and I, when, you know, maybe we get disagreements, angry with our spouse, whatever happens, um, we can have some things come out of us that are very clear agitation and, and a lot of animation, and we can destroy oneness in our relationship. See, as it pertains to negative emotions coming out of us, all of us in this room, we're either a chiller, a spiller, or a killer. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. I coined it myself. I don't know how that happened. I don't coin very, I coin very few things. But as a chiller, when things are going wrong, you could, you could, you're chill. You can, you can stay calm, right? Some of you are spillers. When things are going wrong, your emotions, man, all of a sudden, you just spill it everywhere, right? And to the neighbors and everywhere else. Some of us are killers. We go past the spiller. We're spilling, but now we're going to kill. We go and we attack with some pretty harsh words that penetrate the armor of the other person and sink deep in there, and it stays there. And if we don't really apologize, say, I'm sorry, forgive me for hurting, wounding you, I can't take the word back with this, then those things stay in there, and they begin to be scar tissue. And the more and more you do that, the more and more the pain. 
We become a killer. And that's, and that's when we come in line with the devil, who the Bible says, Jesus said, the thief, the devil comes to kill, still and to destroy. So you don't want to do that in your relationship. So we want to be able to rule over our emotions and make right decisions. And that otherwise, we might turn into a spiller and a killer. And we're no longer, two, we're no longer one that we're becoming two all over again. So James 1.19 says this to drive it further in. James is the half-brother of Jesus, same mother, different father. Now, James, just by way of just reference for some of you new to the faith or just first time in church in a long time, James did not believe his brother Jesus was the Messiah, God in the flesh. He thought his brother was out of his mind. In fact, his whole family thought Jesus was out of his mind. But then James becomes a believer in his brother as the Messiah, God in the flesh. So the question I always ask is, what would it take for you to believe that your actual physical brother, your sibling, was God in the flesh? Well, what it took was James, who doubted his brother, who thought his brother was crazy, he saw his brother crucified, and then he saw his brother resurrected in the resurrection with all the marks and everything else. He was an eyewitness, and that's why he put faith in his brother, and you want to believe the eyewitnesses. And you may think to yourself, well, a lot of people, they sit there and believe in things, and they even die for things. Yeah, and James was martyred later on. Yeah, but James didn't believe in something that he didn't see or didn't guess, and he, and he, saw, he believed in something that he saw. And you got to think about that. He believed in something that he didn't make up. Because no, none of us, I don't think, are going to die for something we make up. Especially 11 disciples aren't. So anyway, he believed in him. Now James says this. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone be quick to hear, be slow to speak, and be quick to, uh, slow to anger. How many of us in our marriage, if we just followed that sequence, it'd be a lot better? Or just in humanity. I mean, you, you, look, you watch the news, you watch these, that we... Our, our society lives the complete opposite of that now. There's civility is, is fast eroding in our society where people just get mad right away and then they start spewing things from the mouth and they don't listen to anything else. You know, you need to be civil and you may disagree with somebody's opinion or whatever, but you don't have to go ballistic. You can be an adult now and our society is losing that now. Now, think about this. He says we should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. But we typically just we hear, we get angry at our spouse, we just start talking, and we don't listen to a thing. But he's saying, could you please rule over your emotions, rule over the innards of your life. Be quick to hear, and the word hear means to be an audience. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. If we would just listen and, and hear, we wouldn't get as angry as we normally do in situations. But he's given us a format on how to rule our will because so, it's our will that gets in the way of our will in marriage. I, am I making sense so far to anybody here? Okay, so that, good then. So hold that thought there because we're going to get into some crazy stuff or some fun stuff today. And, but we're going to read our verse for the last time. This is a verse we read each week for the series. It's the last one in the, in the series. The only, time I'm, only verse I'm going to ask you to read, I'm going to count to three. Here we go. One, two, three, and if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. So what we've been saying is we've been working on the third strand. Every message is a third strand. So in a rope, you've got three strands makes it stronger. So you have a husband, you have a wife, and you've got third strands. We looked at attitude as a third strand. We looked at love and respect as a third strand. We looked at right words as a third strand. Last week, we looked at right standing as a third strand, meaning nobody's leaving, nobody's running away from this marriage. We're committed. And now we're going to look at the my will part because it's my will that gets in the way of our will. 
Now, we've stated our tagline. Let's read it one last time. And by now, I hope you have it down pat right. I'll take it. Okay. It's good enough. So I want to take you to three misconceptions. These are three lies that we, people believe in marriage. And if you're young, young married, you get married one day, if you're single, divorced, you're going to get married one day, please listen closely because this will help you because these are lies we believe. And we just believe them. We may not say it out loud, but we believe it. The first misconception is marriage is problem-free. Yeah, right, huh? Marriage is filled with problems, and this one can wreak all kinds of havoc within my will, and I can start trying to rule over you, and you rule over me, and you know, over the problem situations. Now, I'm going to take you back to a verse that we looked at, uh, I think in first or second week, so we can revisit it, so we remember. 1 Corinthians 7.28 says this. It says, but if you marry, in other words, it's okay to marry, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned, yet such will have trouble in this life. Isn't that fun? And I am trying to spare you. How many of you are saying, I wish they would have spared me 20 years ago? No, I'm just joking. Okay. <laughs> don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. Now, the word trouble there, very, it's an interesting Greek word. It means to feel pressure. And then if you take the root word of that word that means to feel pressure, it means to press grapes, to stop grapes. Don't you ever feel like that in life? Don't say in marriage because you're sitting next to your spouse probably or somebody. <laughs> But you do, you feel these pressures of life. And he says, I'm just trying to spare you. So uh, marriage, it, it carries with it a lot of pressure, a lot of problems. And you got you to know that. A lot of great, great times, but there are problems. Now in Genesis 29, would you turn there? We're going to look at a story, just five verses of Jacob and Rachel. Jacob meets Rachel. It's love at first sight. And he wants to marry her, so he talks with her father. And here's a quick five verses of a long story but let me show you something that I, I usually share in a wedding ceremony. I like to share this. It says in verse 15 of Genesis 29, Laban is the father of Rachel. Jacob is the young man that wants to marry Laban's daughter, Rachel, it says. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? In other words, he's going to work for Laban. What do you want to be paid? Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Now, remember, Jacob loves the younger one, and this is... Because she's younger, this is the problems in the story if we had time to tell the story. And Leah's eyes were weak, and, but Rachel was beautiful, a form and face. Now Jacob loved Rachel, and so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter Rachel. Now I have a question with that one right there. How many of you married guys would serve your future father-in-law seven years to marry their daughter? Don't push his hand up. <laughs> well, we had, okay, we, we had two in first service. Now we got six in second. That's about right, okay. Now, so he says, I'll work for you for seven years and then to marry your daughter. So verse 19, Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than give her to another man. Stay with me. So he's going to work. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Isn't that great? Now, what I like to use this for in a wedding ceremony is says, look, marriage is work. And if you go into thinking there's no work in it, you're in for a world of hurt. And so you got to work at these things. Oneness doesn't happen because you go into the county recorder's office and you had a nice ceremony and reception. Once that finishes, and by the way, isn't that crazy we spend $20,000, $30,000 for four hours? 
I'm the only one who thinks that? Okay, whatever, okay. But anyway, it takes work. Now, let me, let me share the story, of, which many of you probably know you've been here a long time, but I like to share stories from Olivia and I's life to kind of help people. And I'm going to show you this one uh, to, to show you there's hope. You can really work these things out. We've been married 38 plus years now, but anyway. Um, the first, you know, I, I met Olivia, and I, our first date, I remember I, back in 1980, I took her to an expensive restaurant in Costa Mesa. Back then, spending 40 bucks on a dinner was for both of us, a lot of money. And, you know, I dressed up nice and everything, and acid wash jeans and stuff. And, <laughs> and so, uh, walk on the pier afterwards, didn't hold her hand, it was first date, you know, and stuff like that. And so, you know, we had a great time. I really want to impress her. Now, if you believe that whole story, I'm lying. It's just not true, okay? I, my first date, I took her to watch me play basketball. <laughs> I, I was 24, and... Um, I still played in men's leagues. I was a point guard. I wanted to see what a fast and great dribbler of a basketball she possibly could be dating, okay? So I took her to watch my basketball game in Corona High School on a men's league, whatever night it was. And, and then we dated, broke up, and then got back together, and we got married. Uh, first five or six years were tragic. <laughs> they were just bad. It really was bad. And uh, we had two kids in those five or six years, uh, Vanessa and Nathan. It was tough, really tough. And uh, I'll tell you, this, one, this is one of many stories of how bad it was. One night, uh, I woke up about, I don't know, 2.30 in the morning, and she wasn't next to me. I get up, and I walk to the house looking for her. She wasn't in the house. And I thought to myself, well, there's only one place she could be because her parents are out of town camping. She's got to be there. So I get in the car and I drive across town because we live in Coronita area, drove across town. Sure enough, the car, her car was out front, our other car. Knock on the front door, she's not answering. I, walk, I go around the back, knock on the nothing, and she's not, no answer on the back, but then I see the curtain open on the side there and I walk over to her, I go, I'm thinking, what do you, I go, I remember I said, I remember these words, I remember I said, come home. And she said, on the other side of the window, she said, why? That's a good question, huh? Why should she come home? This marriage wasn't great. This marriage was trouble. But I say that for one or two or three of you in the room who feel like, my marriage is in trouble. We started to work on it and work on it and work on it. I bought myself books on adult children of alcoholics because I wanted to work, I wanted to find out what my problems were. Started to work on it, work on it, work on it. And now we're 38 plus years later and really I can't imagine being married to someone else. And we have a really good marriage. And I, you know, and now I always say kiddingly, I, don't, I wouldn't want to have to retrain another wife. <laughs> but I, I say that jokingly. But it takes work. Doesn't it? And it takes work every day. It takes work all the time. So don't believe the lie that there will be no problems in your marriage. You, every marriage has problems. Every marriage. You've got to work through it. Some marriages have seasons of problems. And you've got to work through it. The second lie that we believe coming in is my spouse is just like me. Oh, no, they're not. They're not at all like you. Well, Jim, but, remember, but here's the thing. Remember when you were maybe dating, you got married, and you're thinking, you know, Oh, we love the same things. And we love doing the same things. Let me tell you about your husband-to-be. He's lying to you right now. Okay? 
he, he just going to chick flicks and everything else because he's just trying to win you over. Now, they're different. They're just different. I mean, I'm an Angel fan. My wife's a Dodger fan. I mean. Now, I know people that have met online, Christian online services, have great marriages. They met. I performed those ceremonies. So I know those things work, and I'm not against those things. But I think you, I'm, I'm guessing that you have a compatibility test you might take online before when you get in there to see if you have the same things. You know, you got to be careful because you read things like, oh, they like pepperoni pizza, and you think, I do too. <laughs> you're, you're the guy, she likes John Wick movies. Oh, man, she's the one. Yeah, she's going to stick a pencil in your head when you're asleep, man. <laughs> oh, you watch John Wick, huh? Okay. Um, but so you got to be careful. You're different. Let me tell you what, let me tell you when it comes to, to marriage and she's not. Compatibility is based on character, not on likeness. Compatibility is based on character, not on similarities. You're different and therefore it takes character to stick it out and to work it out and to grow. We have too many people who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s who are that age physically, intellectually, but they are emotionally about 12 or 13 years of age, and they wreck marriages. Because they just never grew up, and they never realized they're that young emotionally. You got to grow up, because compatibility is based on character, not not similarities. Let me tell you something. You are, sorry to burst your bubble, you are an odd couple in your marriage. But it's the oddness of each one of you that fills in the gaps of each one to make you a whole. Any amens? Here's, here's Here's what I know. <clears throat> opposites attract and then they attack it's true the things that drew you together are the very things that you might attack each other on later I'll give you a for instance um, let's say one of you is a melancholy temperament it means you're a real thinker you're not real, real not a lot of vocabulary you don't talk a lot and you know you're just always examining and one of you the other one's the sanguine you're the life of the party you want to do things all the time and it's you know and you're loud and you know your husband or whoever's the melancholy says don't leave me at the gathering stay with me because i can't talk to people i am a robot you know or whatever (laughs) but you might say something like this one of you let's say the sanguine fly by the seat of the pants fun all the time you might say something let's say you're the woman not not stereotyping but let's say you say to your friends oh he, I, I just love how he balances me out and he keeps me on a budget because I'm not good at that. And then you get married. And then about a year or two go by and you're like, that guy don't want to spend any money. Man, he's killing me, man. No, I don't want to stay home again. I want to go, let's go do something. But the budget, I don't care about the budget. Opposites attract, and then what caused you to draw to each other, then you go on the attack, right? Right? And you got to be careful with that one right there. So, your spouse, not like you, and you better be careful with that one because that'll erode oneness, and the two no longer become one. You do that more, you don't realize that the two become done after a while, amen? Now, the third thing is this, the third lie is, my spouse will always make me happy. Now, when you're dating, you're getting married, you think, oh, they're always going to make me happy. No, they're not. They're going to make you mad. Anybody know what I mean? I'll raise both, I'll raise my, both my feet. I'll, I'll flick my ear. They're going to make you mad. 
Now, the only one that can bring you ultimate joy all the time through any circumstance is Jesus Christ. And that's just it. You may not believe that right now because maybe you haven't tried it or fully given your life to him and submitted to him. But once the Spirit of God comes in you, a fruit of the Spirit is joy. And that's a fruit. That's not so much an emotion. That's a fruit of the Spirit where you can have joy through anything. Now, let me tell you something. If you go into a relationship, you know, marriage thing, and they're going to make you happy, ah, no, you've just set them up for a failure and you a letdown. Because they're not going to make you ultimately happy. What has to happen is in a healthy relation, in a healthy person growing, growing, you need to be happy and joyful, and then you bring that into the marriage. So you're not depending on someone else to make you happy. But if you don't come in happy, if you have the bad childhood and this and that happened, and you don't deal with the emotions and all the baggage of the past, and you can tell yourself all day long, my past doesn't affect me. Oh, really? Ask 10 people around you if it does or it doesn't. It affects you. So you got to deal with that stuff, and you want to bring joy into the marriage. Now, so... <clears throat> They're going to make you angry either because you think we're not going to have problems and then problems arise. They're going to make you angry because you think, oh, we're exactly like, no, they're not like you. And the difference is going to make you angry. And you're going to think, oh, they're going to make me up. No, they're, they're going to make you mad at times. So you must rule over yourself and not over them. Did you hear what I just said? Because it's my will I got to watch out for. I got to rule over that. Greater is he who rules over his, his wind, breath, agitations. Greater as he rules over that. I got to rule over myself and not focus so much on and trying to rule over that, my spouse. Remember I said that there's a battle going on in Genesis 3.16? The woman's desire, the word desire means to run after or run over, remember that? The woman's desire, she wants to run over her husband, but he will rule over her. It's a battle. And so if we're going to go from my will to our will, I've got to rule over my, I've got to rule over me and not try to rule over them. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I've got to go from my will to our will. Now, how do we do that? Well, I'm going to give you one way. Hebrews 4, uh, 12 and 13, but watch this. It says, for the word of God, which is the Bible. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. Oh, there come those words again. Of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts, the intentions of the heart. Now, he's saying here that the word of God can divide between soul and spirit. The soul is me. It's my old nature. It's my old self. The spirit is the word of God. Jesus said these words are spirit and they are life. So the word of God can divide between what is the old me and what should be the new me in the spirit. It can divide it. But this old me is what I've got to kill. It's got to die so that my will can turn into our will if we're going to make in this marriage, if we're going to have a real flourishing marriage and teach our kids how to live this thing. Now, how does that happen? Verse 13, watch this, because they're connected. This is interconnected with the previous verse. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open. Say open. And laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now the word open there is an interesting Greek word. It literally means to, look, look at me, to pull the head back and expose the neck. Why? Because there's a sword involved in verse 12. It means that, to kill the person. So God is telling me that I'm, I must die. I've got to die to my own. Not physically, don't go home and say, oh, I've got to kill my... No, no. 
I got to die to my will, to my old nature, to my old baggage, to my old self, because my will can get in the way of our will together. The two don't become one, the two become done if we don't watch these things. Now, when you start to rule over and die to your old self, the old negative emotions, the old agitations, the old things, then you start to have a flourishing marriage, and this begins to happen. I have a list. Now watch. When you start to do this, what happens is you enter into the world of your spouse, their feelings, what their, their emotions. You realize it's not about you anymore. Didn't Jesus come and into our world? Didn't he not do that? He left his world and came into our world to experience our world. That's, that's why it says he was tempted in all ways as us, yet without sin came into our world. You start dying to yourself, you will enter into the world and the feelings of your spouse. And you're no longer going, they need to get over it. You will also begin, become sensitive to how your spouse feels like when you were dating. Remember those days? Let me show you one. When you remember, I'll talk to guys and the girls will be connected. Guys, remember you wrote the card to your girlfriend and now your wife? Oh, I'd, I'd climb the highest mountain for you. <laughs> I'd swim the deepest ocean for you. Then you get married. Three years go by. Your wife comes out of the bedroom and she says, I need, wait, honey, will you go to the store and give me some Theraflu? I'm, I'm dying over here. And you go, honey, it's the first quarter. <laughs> right? Right? Oh, but yeah, I've climbed the highest mountain. But now it's like, I can't leave the football. I know, go to bed. You'll feel better. I know the blood's coming out of your ears, but you'll feel better. <laughs> now you become sensitive to how they feel because it's not about you anymore. It's not your will. It's our will. And let me give you the third thing I have for you on that one. Once you start dying to yourself, you begin to realize a real scary truth. What would it be like to be married to you. You might find out that you are the original nightmare on Elm Street, my friend. <laughs> See, I think what God is saying to us is God wants to kill what's killing your marriage. God wants to kill anything that's killing your marriage and rule over those ugly ag agitations and feelings and everything else. God wants to do that. So the two become one the way it was stated way back in the beginning, way back. So my will, little by little, doesn't get in the way of our will as a married couple. And that's a strong third strand right there. Now, not in your notes, but on screen. I found this and I thought, it's apropos. I'm going to read it. People fall in love, but they do not fall into marriage. Marriage involves the will as well as the emotions. Therefore, great marriages do not happen by chance. They are made. Because it takes work. Dedication. They are made. Okay. Series over. Del Campo out. Let's pray.